I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash inner academy. Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. Welcome to Dale Borglum's Healing at the Edge. We are very happy to share with you Dale's profound insight and open heart. Please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dale to support this podcast. Hi, this is Dale Borglum, Ramdev, on the Healing at the Edge channel of the Be Here Now podcast network. And today, I'm with my new friend, Mason Reed, who is my client, and has been a client here at the Living Dying Project for the last month or so. Mason's mother uh, and I have a very dear mutual friend who suggested that his mother call me because Mason has a, he has brain cancer. He has a brain tumor. He was diagnosed with that brain tumor at the age of 10 had a lot of treatment, uh, and about six or eight months ago, he was going to college at UCLA. He started losing his balance, uh, and to the point where he came home, they did some tests, and the, t- the, the tumor had been growing. So Mason's 22 years old. He has a brain tumor. He is a very funny guy. He uh, and I are working together, meditating together, uh, drinking coffee together, and his his 
cancer has affected his short-term memory. It's affected his speech and it's affected his balance, but it has not affected his heart or his sense of humor. So I introduce you to Mason. And Mason, maybe you could tell the viewers what it is like to be Mason, to be so young and have this difficult diagnosis, which what's happening in the future is really uncertain. Uh, I'm sure there are some ways that this is really difficult. There are some other ways that it makes each moment more precious. In some ways, possibly that it deepens your relationships with people. So, what would you say about how the cancer has changed your life? Well, it has changed my life significantly. Um, for one, I talk not as I used to. Um, I get sleepy um, almost immediately when I wake up. Um, and that is um, also I have memory issues. I have balance issues. But it also made me um, feel like made me realize that life is precious. You need to live life to its fullest and no regrets. So that's what you say to people that don't have cancer, to live more fully, to realize that life is precious. Or people who do, or people who don't, or people who have other diseases. It doesn't matter anyone, everyone. So in, in Buddhism, there are what are called the mind-turning truths, the truths that turn your mind towards seeking the truth, towards uh, practicing the Dharma. And the first one is you're going to die, but you don't know when. It's pretty obvious intellectually. But for you, much more so than probably almost any other 22-year-old, that fact is something that's right in your face a lot. The second of these mind-turning truths is that life is precious. Mm -hmm. So that in a way, in a kind of a horrible way, there is some advantage to having this diagnosis, this cancer in your brain, because it, it is reminding you how precious life is. I mean, a lot of 22-year-olds are really busy having a good time. Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, He's funny. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's... I mean, maybe that's funny, but uh, so you're very funny, but at the same time, there's a real seriousness mm -hmm. about you. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if the seriousness would be there without the tumor, but there's these two things going on. You're a 22-year-old guy who's upper middle class family here in Marin County and going to UCLA and having a lovely parents and siblings and all that. And another, mm -hmm. on the other hand, 
you don't know how long you're going to be alive. Mm -hmm. So we were talking during our session before we started the podcast about how sometimes you feel angry, you feel sad, you feel depressed. And then I asked you, do you feel guilty about feeling angry, sad, and depressed? And you said, but 80% of the time you feel guilty about having those difficult feelings. 20%, you just let it slide through. And we were talking about how that guilt was extra, that it's very natural for you to feel angry, sad, and depressed. Mm -hmm. uh, but is it possible when that voice comes up and says, Oh, Mason, you shouldn't feel angry, sad, and depressed to tell that voice to shut up and to forgive yourself. What do, you, what do you feel about that little exchange that we had a couple of hours ago? I thought it was spot on. Um, if you're angry, depressed, and sad, or you said you're not living life to the fullest and when it's here um, death is here um you need to get on it okay <laughs> so i would guess that if if maybe this is just a guess but that if you if you didn't have cancer and you and I met in some social situation, that we wouldn't really have the depth of connection that's happened. And I think this is maybe the fourth time we've been together in a month, like every week for about a month now. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, isn't there some, isn't there some uh, positive quality that, you're thinking more about God. You're thinking more about who you are, what's important, sort of essentializing life. I know I'm putting words in your mouth here, trying to make this podcast happen a little bit. But, uh, you know, I feel honored to have gotten to meet you and us to get as close as we have in such a short amount of time. Well, of course you do. I'm awesome. <laughs> Is everybody awesome? No. You're especially awesome. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So a lot of people that listen to these podcasts are people on the spiritual path. I think a lot of them meditate. Uh, a lot of them think about God, have devotional practices, possibly. And in my experience, one can do these practices, and after a while it gets kind of stale. Mm -hmm. there's, not, there's not much movement. You're, you're kind of going through the motions. And it really comes back to motivation. And it, it's kind of easy for us to sit here and say, life is, is precious and you're going to die, but you don't know when. But without having a, a, a brain tumor, without having cancer, then uh, sometimes it's hard to find that inspiration, that motivation for practice. Just this last week, 
I went to UCSF Hospital to have a scan mm-hmm. of my an, an endoscopic ultrasound scan of my pro, of my uh, pancreas because both my mother and my brother died of pancreatic cancer. Wow! And so the doctors have suggested that every year I go in and just have a scan to make sure I'm I'm clean because mm-hmm. pancreatic cancer often isn't caught till uh, it's really far down the down the line there. And so the first thing that happens is you go into the hospital and there's a guy there who's the guard who makes sure only the right people are getting into the surgical unit. And he says, oh, you're going under the knife today, which I said, no, they're just putting a camera down my throat with no knife. And even though what I was going through was really not life threatening, it was just a scan. There's general anesthesia and there's doctors and nurses and anesthesiologists and I dealt with about a dozen people in the before they they uh, I got to the the operating room. It really made me think about how I could die that day. There's this Native American saying, uh, "Today is a good day to die," <laughs> because you've lived your life fully. And uh, last night I was teaching a group, and there was a guy at the group who's a therapist. And he said that he's been meditating for decades. He said that he kind of gave up meditating. He he got to the point where he felt it was getting a little bit stale or that he had gotten to a point where his life was working pretty well. And when he was in a therapy session with a client, that the interaction with the client, he felt really alive. But then when the client left and he wasn't being a therapist anymore, that he didn't take care of himself the way he took care of the client. He didn't have the motivation. And I'm guessing that you have that motivation in a more ongoing way. Yeah, I do. Or Yeah, 100%. Because I used to not know at all um, what I want to do with my life. Um, and then now, um, I definitely know what areas um, I need or want to be in, um, and that is work or working with um, recovering um, people. Or, or from life-threatening or life-threatening illnesses. Working with them as a, like a counselor or as a anesthesiologist, or <laughs> how are you going to work with them? Um, as a uh, like ca- counselor. Okay. What what were you studying at UCLA? Um. I was just getting started, Um, so I took a few art classes, one English, one um, algebra. Okay. So, you know, in in spending these four weeks with you, it seems like there's this this tension, this dichotomy, that when I first met you, 
uh, I came into your house and you said, hi, I'm dying. Or maybe that was even on the telephone. You said, hi, I'm dying. And then they said, hi, I'm Dale. And then I came over to your house and your mom let me in and you came into the room and once again, you said, hi, I'm dying. But at the same time, you talk about becoming a counselor, which involves getting a college degree. And, and so there's one part of you that says you're dying. And there's another part of you that's talking about what's going to happen four years, six years, eight years down the line. Uh, both of these things are happening at the same time. That must be, there must be some stress involved in holding both of those things. Definitely. It's hard to make long-term plans. Well, I find that um, long-term plans are all is uh, are um, what makes me um, get up out of bed in the morning. If you didn't have the plans, you'd stay in bed. I certainly would wouldn't be up and ready. I would be lying on the couch or okay. the, in on the bed. So let me run an idea by you that I uh, that a lot of people have a hard time with. So in Buddhism, and I'm not necessarily Buddhist, but I, I like to talk Buddhist because I think it's a very fresh language for most people. In Buddhism, they say that the two big problems are hope and fear. <laughs> fear is obvious. Fear closes the heart. It makes it hard to be really present. But hope also makes it hard to be present because we're hoping something's going to happen in the future. It's taking us out of the present moment. So uh, they say give up hope and give up fear. That, that allows you then to drop into the present. Uh, yet in the in the Bible it says faith, hope, and charity are these great things, and the greatest of them are is charity, which is love. But the Bible says give up hope. I mean, I'm sorry. The Bible says hope is this wonderful thing to be cultivated, and Buddhism says give up hope. Mm -hmm. And I guess my question is, how possible is it to get up in the morning? Not because you're hoping something's going to happen in the long term, but because it's this morning and there you are lying in bed and you're uh, feeling the covers on your on your skin and you're seeing the sights in your room. And there's just this present moment that is kind of going beyond how long you're going to be alive or not, just right there. So that there's this kind of aliveness, this awakeness, this joy that goes beyond duality, beyond happiness and sadness, wellness and illness, even life and death. That mm. Right now in this moment, there's just you and me in the room. And that, in a way, that's the whole universe. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, if we're still alive, we're going to walk out of the door and it's a summer day. It's, it's uh, July in California. You know, the sun is out, uh, the grasses are turning brown instead of green. And there was a woman I knew who said, 
every morning when she would wake up, she didn't get out of bed until she could imagine that she was enlightened, which I think is a really hard imagination. But at the same time, what I'm trying to get at here in my roundabout way is, do you think it's possible that just having a brain tumor, or if it's just possible just being a 22-year-old human being, or it's just possible being Mason, that just being alive is enough, that, that you can find some joy in getting out of bed without necessarily planning about, I'm going to be a counselor, I'm going to go to college for all these years, all these things are going to happen. I mean, because there's this other part of you that says, hi, I'm dying. Uh, yeah, I, I have those mornings, um, where I don't really necessarily, um, think of, I tell myself, um, it's a beautiful day, um, don't, I don't, I don't really know what the word is, but, um, relaxing, um, relaxing. Relaxing into the moment, surrender mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. the moment. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, uh, you know, a lot of the people I work with are older, uh, way older. I mean, old people, <laughs> as old as me, <laughs> really old. So, uh, a lot of people have uh, a, a lot of my clients over the years, and right now I can think of two or three or four people that have cancer, have had cancer for a few years or something. And there are other people that die by, they're just walking down the street and they have a heart attack or a brain aneurysm or they get hit by a car or something and boom, just in one moment they go from being alive to being dead in a way that's totally unexpected. And there are other people who have this, this kind of preparation where they, they know that death is, it's not quite predictable, but it's more predictable than for most other people. Mm. That they can feel their body beginning to deteriorate and even maybe getting to the point where they don't want to be in their body because it's so dysfunctional in certain ways. And I've heard a lot of people say, I'd like to die in my sleep. I'd like to die a little more slowly. Both of my parents got cancer and died in about 10 weeks' time after the, they went to the hospital, got the tests, and 10 weeks later, boom. And to me, that seemed like the perfect way to go, that some people are sick for really a super long time, and it's exhausting, and it's financially draining, and other people die so quickly, there's not time for closure. But to you're having time to prepare. You're having time to realize how precious life is. And my guess is, and from what things you say and just the, the joy that, that uh, comes out of you when you're not busy being a wise guy, uh, <laughs> which is a lot of the time, I might add, that there's, there's, there, there's, there's some part of you 
that is becoming more open, that the, the river of time is wearing away a lot of the immaturity and superficiality that young people often have. Um, yeah, I would definitely say so. Um, and there is still a lot of immaturity. <laughs> well, maybe at a psychological level. So, I mean, somebody can be kind of an old soul, and there's a, like maybe you're kind of a goofy uh, post adolescent mm -hmm. here. But at the same time, to me, there's a real depth about you that yeah. you've been looking death directly in the face. And uh, don't get me wrong, I know or completely understand what you're saying, and it is so on the mark. Okay. So that you looked death in the face and you didn't blink. Yeah. Okay. Well, and a lot of people would have blinked. A lot of people would have pulled the covers over their head and said, "Not, I don't want to deal with this. Well, I go through cycles um, mostly positive um, but every so often I would I will have a negative um, negative like, negative meaning what um sad mad Scared? Scared. Um, helplessness. Um, anger. Or, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And those aren't happy emotions. Okay. Well, here's a question. Do you think the purpose of life is to be happy or is the purpose of life to be free and to find the truth? Be free. Yeah. So if you're trying to be happy, grasping at happiness, you're having to look at each experience. Is this a happy making experience or an unhappy making experience? You're juggling all the time. Whereas if you're seeking the truth, happiness will often come out of it as a great byproduct mm -hmm. and people can get exhausted just running after happiness buying stuff and having all these experiences and and one relationship or with this food experience or whatever it is and uh my feeling is that there is a joy that transcends happiness and sadness mm -hmm. there's an aliveness there's a beingness and i'll make a confession i'm around you because I want to find that joy in myself in a moment-to-moment -moment way. And being around somebody who has this incredible challenge that you're facing in a way that I think is really brave is... Uh, <laughs> I have to put up with this all the time. It yes, <laughs> he does. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm losing my train of thought here for some strange reason. That I can't quite remember, but that being around you and the the courage you're showing 
inspires me to find courage, even though I don't have cancer that I know about, even though I have this life where, you know, things are working pretty well. And I want to be free. And there's, I, I, I know I'm free with a large part of myself, but there's another part that doesn't always believe it. Mm. And uh, being confronting the possibility of death, I'm going to die, but I don't know when. That it, it could be when I'm driving you home. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> Let's hope not. Or after I take you home and I'm coming home. How does that change the way? If, if I thought I really might die today, if I really knew that, or if you knew that you really could die today, how would it change the way we're sitting here with our knees touching? And <laughs> uh, how, how would it, if, if we really took that truth into the marrow of our bones, would it, would it change anything? You know, like this might be the last time we see each other just today. Let's hope not. Okay. Well, let's see what's going on here. We've been doing this for about almost 30 minutes. Oh, wow. And is there any final thing you'd like to say to our viewing and listening audience in terms of uh, what you've learned through your short yet wonderful life? Um, life is short. Don't mess it up. Okay. With that piece of <laughs> profound wisdom, uh, I thank you for your kind attention. I wish you all the best, send you lots of love, and uh, hope to see you at our next podcast. Bye-bye. <laughs>